So we are continuing in this um, notion that there are signposts in our lives, broken signposts, albeit, and those signposts point out to something. There are things that we experience, things that we see, and they seem to indicate that there's more to life than just what we see very close to us. And we're coming to the last of those as we talk about relationships, as Mary's already alluded to that. We're going to talk about how relationships, again, are kind of a witness inside us to something that means more than just us and even the small relationships that we have. The relationships that we have seem to to stir up a hunger for a deep relationship, for a really meaningful relationship. And the relationships also give us a clue to the one who created us because since we are people who like to be in relationship with one another, certainly we would expect that the one who has created us is someone who enjoys relationships. And so when we go all the way back, we find a very curious description of God at the beginning of the story of the Bible. When God talks about being we, he talks about um, as though there's more than one person, and yet we we hear that it's God talking, and, and yet God says, let us make man in our image. And so God did that, and as we look into the text, we find that actually the name that God has given is a plural name. So there is something about God that is about relationship, and there is something about us about relationships that is a way that we are like God and a way that we are mirrors um, of the God who has, who has made us. So we're going to talk about relationships, and we're going to talk about the specific dynamic of relationships called love. And so I've asked you the question, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. How many ways are there to love one another? Well, there are three, according to the scriptures. And I'm going to talk about those three, one today, one next week, and one the week after that. So there are three Greek words that are given in the New Testament for love. The first is the word agape, and that's the one that we're very familiar with. It's that lovely, committed, Christ-like, God-like kind of love. And the second kind of love is phile love, and it, it usually gets demoted, and you'll hear preachers, even people like me, saying, well, it's not as good as agape. So when Jesus is talking to Simon Peter, for example, to restore him, Jesus says, do you love me? And he asks him the agape question, do you love me, agape kind of love? And Peter answers him and says, I feel you. That, that sounds like a bad English word, doesn't it? I fillet you. I fillet you. So Jesus asks Peter the second time, do you love me, agape love? And Peter says, fillet love is, is what I'm offering back to you. On the third occasion, Jesus said to Peter, do you fillet me? And I'll tell you next week about the ex- exact sort of pronunciation of that. Peter, the text tells us, was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, do you file me? And he realizes that Jesus has been willing to step down from the agape love that he was hoping for, and Peter has not been able to climb up to the promise that he would love Jesus with agape love. He can only offer him this second kind of love. 
Well, next week I'll ask you the question, is, is the second kind of love no good? Or, or do we love it as well? Do we like it as well? I'll suggest we do. Because there are ways that we in, involve ourselves in relationships in that kind of love. The third kind of love is eros, and it gives us the word erotic, and it's mostly the Greek word for sexual love or for physical love. And we will talk about that again in uh, two weeks from today. So today I'd like to offer you a sandwich. This is uh, still Thanksgiving, so you're making turkey sandwiches. So I'm going to propose a different sandwich than a turkey sandwich. Uh, I'm going to go back to what we looked at last time when we were in Psalm 92. And in Psalm 92, we heard the psalmist tell us that there's something we should think about in the morning, there's something we should think about in the evening. And I commended that to you, that we would do well to begin every day by thinking about God's chesed, God's faithful love, that, that lovely Hebrew word that collects the notions of kindness and love and loving kindness and mercy and pity and all of those things. The psalmist then goes on to say, in the evening, we should thank him for his faithfulness. So the two lids of the sandwich are the chesed of the morning, and in the evening is the thankfulness for the faithfulness that God has shown during the day. So we begin in the morning counting on God to be a chesed God, to be a covenant kind of a God. We anticipate that the activities of our day will be soaked through with this covenant love of God. And then at the end of the day, we can review the day and we can say to ourselves and we can say in our prayers and we can say to one another, today God has been faithful to me. What I expected would be his disposition in the morning when I thought about his covenant loyalty. I've discovered through the events of the day have been true to how he's been involved in my life. And so I'm thankful for his faithfulness. Indeed, he has been faithful. So that's the morning covered and the evening covered, and that's the bottom and the top of the sandwich. What will we put in the middle of the sandwich? I think what we'll put in the middle of the sandwich is all of the activities during the day and say they should be characterized by agape, so we have covenant faithfulness in the morning, we have thankfulness for faithfulness in the evening, and all the way through the day, we practice out our love of God and his love for us by loving one another, by, by involving ourselves in agape kind of relationships. So I'm going to ask you to, to take a bearing on yourself, because when we think about the, the word for love called agape, I think it talks about two things. It talks about our circumstances and our relationships. So wherever we are in the course of the day, we could probably take stock or we could take our sounding or take our bearings and say, here's, here's what is going on in, in my life right now. Here are the relationships around me. My family, my spouse, my workmates, my fellow students, um, they are around me. Um, they are the little stick people, if we had them, that are around me. And in the course of the day, I am in a circumstance. Something is happening. It has to do with where I am, what my activities are. But, but those two things make up the bearings of, of our weekday, workday lives. 
Between morning and evening, we are to involve ourselves in agape love for one another, and that agape love has to do with our relationships with one another and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And all of that is in the context of thanksgiving. All of that is in the desire to be thankful people. One of the ways that we express our thanks is by loving one another. And if there is ever a time in history that human love um, properly provided by a God who has loved us deeply from the beginning should be in operation between us, it, it is surely now. There, there, is, there, there is a level of animosity, there's a level of enmity between people. And in the midst of a pandemic, it's exasperated. Urbated by, by the circumstances b because we're feeling tense and sometimes we'd like to blame somebody else or sometimes we'd like to just take care of ourselves or our own and not take care of other people. And so in the middle of that, I think it is altogether the call of the church to say let's not forget that we are to love one another. Love is the need that our world has, e even more than recovery from the pandemic. We desperately need love for one another. And so as we think about love for one another, and we think about Elizabeth Bear Browning's question about how do I love thee, we love in three ways, and we will practice our love in the agape way in our circumstances and in our relationships. So I want to take you to the classic passage on love, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'll take you there in the message because... Um, Maybe you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 so many times that you could rhyme it off and you know what it says, love is patient, love is kind, love is all those things. So let's hear how Eugene Peterson spun uh, those phrases. He, he translates very accurately and he translates into the vernacular for us. He, he translates in a way that is true to the original text, but he also translates in a way that we can understand it. And sometimes I read a passage by him and I think, wow, that's what that means or that's the importance that should be in that passage. And I hadn't noticed it before, um, but Peterson has been able to be used by the Lord in, in providing uh, that translation before the Lord took him home. And now he's getting some corrective notes about the translation, I presume. First Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, I've put the, the Greek word there for you just to impress you with my great knowledge. Just because I could actually make my keyboard switch. And, the, and then I couldn't make my keyboard switch back. So I ended up trying to send an email yesterday and it turned out in Greek script. And I, can't rem I, I couldn't remember how to get back to English. So, so, so smart, right? Anyway, there's the, the word agape or agape. There's the word for love. Love, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, never gives up. That's, love is patient. It never gives up. So we're going to start with that one, and we're going to say, okay, in, in building the sandwich, in, in living out my day between the morning and the evening, if I am to be a person of love, I will first of all be a person of great patience. I will be a person of complete love. I will be someone who says, I, I, I never give up. I think a lot of people are sort of at the place of giving up. 
in many ways in the middle of, of all of this. So a second wave comes along and, and people I talk with, they, they, they say, well, we got through the first one. Phew. I don't know if I have the stamina or if I have the strength or if I, if, if I have what it's going to take to get through the second one. So as we're trying to live our lives thankfully between the morning and the evening and filling it with love, in our relationships and circumstances, the first way that that, that love needs to be put into operation is to say we, we will not give up. We won't give up on one another. We won't give up on ourselves. We, we will press on and we will press through. And I bet that there are people that all of us know who are feeling that they're not sure that they have what it takes to get through. And they need an encouragement. They need a word of encouragement. They need someone to say, we'll get through this or the Lord will be with us through this um, and, and I will be your friend all the way through. Do you remember you've got a friend in me in, in the Toy Story, right? The old, you got a friend in me. There are people around you that need to hear you say, you've got a friend in me, no matter how hard it is. And, and it is hard, and in our world these days, it is incredibly hard. What happened in Paris this week, tragic and, and terrible. And it, it makes all of us say, oh my goodness, is there really any hope for our world or in our world when there is that kind of, of violence and, and um, demonstration of, of, of intolerance? Um, so love never gives up. So we could say, yes, love is patient. And patient just kind of feels like it means just hang on. But there's something more in the message when we hear it said this way, love doesn't give up. Don't give up on people that are trying to make you give up on them or are trying to give up on things. They need you to be faithful. And to be a loving person, you need to be someone who is faithful. The second is that love cares more for others than for self. And we would say, well, duh, that of course, Love is patient. Love, yeah, love is kind. That, that, that's that phrase. Well, So the message says it, it means to care more for others than for myself. I was watching um, a short video this week um, by a person called Rob Schenk. And I hadn't heard of Robert Schenk before, but he's, he's being touted now as uh, a leading evangelical spokesperson. So they're interviewing him all over the world. They interviewed him on BBC, NBC, CBS and, and all the rest about politics and America and Christianity and, and the conundrum that Christianity or let's say evangelicalism and politics um, are muddled and, and so Schenck is, is being a spokesperson about all of this in a very wise way I commend him to you if, if you'd like to, to listen to him or read him but he said, he said, I have a little idea that I think could change everything. So it's one of those, you know, sort of like a TED Talk kind of thing. Somebody proposing something. And, and the little idea that he had, I, I think is brilliant. And it has to do with this idea that we think more of others than we think of ourselves. We, if we are typical human beings, will will pretty much um, determine our, our notion about other people. 
we will categorize other people. And we will maybe stigmatize other people. We may caricature other people. But uh, his little idea is this. To find somebody who is the exact opposite of you. So now, you know, we won't go around the room and describe who would be the exact opposite of you. But maybe you can imagine who is the person who maybe ideologically is your opposite, is the person who is going to vote differently than you in the elections, is a person who, you know, whatever, is completely different from you. Maybe ethnically they are different from you. Maybe they don't look like you at all. Shank's idea is to find the person that you have access to who is the exact opposite of you and make a friend of that person. And then he suggests that everything you believe about that person and the group that person is part of or the place that person comes from, whatever it is, put all of that aside and only believe what you come to understand from a friendship with that one person. It's a brilliant idea because it puts away all of our, all of our, our notions, our prejudices, when we get to know one person. Um, I, I'm a person who grew up, the opposite of me was a Catholic because of where I grew up. We came to Canada and our neighbors down the street as Danimeth and I got married and moved out to Vancouver, were not only Catholics, they were Irish Catholics, and they were coordinators of the Pope's visit. And they lived down the street. Sue and John, the nicest people you could meet. And I remember the one time we, I talked with Sue, and I said, you know, Sue, if our people at home knew that we would talk to each other, they'd disown us. Isn't that crazy? And many, many times I've had the conversation with people who have come from where I've come from where we've said, now that we have seen real people and when all of this nonsense is out of the way, we find that we can be in relationship with one another. And so all around the world, there are people who are at odds with each other because of who the other is. And in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says, care for others more than I do for myself. And Shank says, find the person that's your exact opposite and love that person. And then believe that the way you have come to know that person is true of all of the others from which he has emerged. The third thing, as we try to fill our sandwich with, with agape love, um, this is no... Um, slight to Mr. and Mrs. Strutt, who are part of our church, but um, love doesn't strut. doesn't mean you don't Dave or Diane strut. It means you don't strut. You know, I mean, you, you, you see what it means just by what the verb says. Someone who struts, you think of a person with their chest out and they're marching along and they're haughty. They're above and beyond the rest of you. And uh, again, in, in these days, they're, there, there's a whole lot of leveling going on, isn't there? When we see that um, it, it doesn't matter how much money you have or anything else about you, this pandemic is going is going to level us all because we all have to face it. And so it's time for us to put away our errors um, in in 
Irish, um, they say you get to be too big for your boots. My mom would tell me I was too big for my boots, and so I should take my boots off because I was too big for them. I was strutting. It's time to stop strutting and to love one another. And wherever and however we can, we need to come to the level of the people who are above us or below us, typically, and say we're all here together. Some of the things in, um, built, you know, on the notice boards outside of church or of schools are better than things that are outside churches because sometimes the things outside churches are kind of corny. But uh, outside schools, one that, that I, I saw just down the street from us, the Catholic school there says, we're all in this together. Yeah, that's a great understanding that we need to have. We're all in this together. And it is to show our love for one another, um, to find those people that aren't us, to try to be used in, in mending fences, mending past wrongs, mending differences, just by coming to know one another and loving one another. There's a, a fantastic movement um, that I, I just learned about this week. It's called Love Anyway. And so there are t-shirts and all kinds of paraphernalia about that love anyway. It's based on the concept of preemptive love. And preemptive love is what has caught my attention. I I love words. And sometimes words just get me thinking. Preemptive love. When you think about that, it's it's kind of a... um, kind of catches in your throat. Preemptive doesn't usually belong with love. Preemptive usually belongs with strike. And so what has happened in the, the Middle East and in Iraq and, and so on has been called a preemptive strike over, over the last number of years and, and decades. So th- there is this movement um, that, that's across North America and spreading across the world called preemptive love. What if instead of protecting ourselves against other people preemptively, what if we preemptively loved everyone? What if we became radicals with love instead of radicals with what we believe or who we like and who we, we don't like? And so love anyway is the popular expression of that, of that notion of preemptive love. Let's, let's not preemptively stop terrible things from happening. Let's preempt terrible things by practicing love. And the practice of love is, is challenging when there are people who are, who are committing their lives to violence and committing their lives um, to hatred and uh, we need to, to step into the middle of it, I think, and say, why don't we love one another anyway uh, and see how, how God might use that? Because we are people who, who live in a sandwich. We are people who know in the morning that God is committed to his covenant loyalty to us. In the evening, we will review the day and know he has. So in the middle of it, we can take our risks by being agape people, by being people who behave in a way that is strange to us, maybe, 
because we're protecting ourselves, we're loving ourselves, we're loving our own, we're loving our own stuff and all of that. Let, let's set that aside and say no. It, it would be better if we could be people who would preemptively love. And so the love that we have doesn't strut. It doesn't want what it doesn't have. So we become people of contentment in, in the middle of our world. And with contentment is going to be maybe a tall order as to what we are going to need to be content with. So what is it that will make us content? Maybe a year ago, um, we would have said, I'd be content if I could have this or that. Maybe now we say, I'd be content if I could be well, if we could all be well. Um, in, in the middle of it all, God says, I, I know the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the God who was and is and always will be. This has not surprised him. But all the while he is saying, but how about you? Will you step into love? And will you be content with what you have? Or will you move out of this and forget that you said you'd be content if we could just get rid of this pandemic? Uh, will you forget? Um, or, or will you remember that some very important things became important to you. So our families, the, the things that we took for granted, the friendships that we've taken for granted, the people we've taken for granted, haven't said thanks to. Has it become time for us to say thanks? And let's remember that we learned the content way of living thankfully in the, in the middle even of all of this. So, um, we don't want we, what we don't have. We don't strut, so we'll pass that by in case Dave is watching. Along with that, we don't have a swelled head. It's, it's the, the same idea, um, that we are not people who, who think that they have it wrong or they have it badly, whatever. We are, we are willing to shrink ourselves into the persons that we properly are. We, we don't think too highly of ourselves. Um, yesterday, I had, had the privilege of coordinating a, a memorial service for my, my good friend, Bob. Um, and as people told about the things that he had done, uh, he's, he's been a missionary in India. He was, he was born in Nigeria to missionary parents. He lived in India, served in various places um, internationally as a director for, for uh, InterServe and then in Canada for InterServe. Then Tyndale gave him a, a, an honorary degree, so he's Dr. Bob and all this kind of stuff. It did not affect him in the slightest because he was, he was just Bob. And all of the things that he had done as people talked about him yesterday, they, they simply talked about the character of the person that he was, how the two things that he, he loved most were that he was, he was endlessly fascinated by people and he was endlessly fascinated by ideas. And the two mixed up in him a lovely product that, that let people say, thanks for the life that Bob lived because it was well lived and, and he's gone home. Um, doesn't have a swelled head, um, doesn't force itself on others. Uh, again, it, it, all of it caricatures into a, a, a more humble me, a, a more tentative me, a, a more thoughtful me, a more engaged me than I, I might have been 
when everything was just perfect and I could move along and think that everything good was because I deserved it or I've done something to get it. All of those things get kind of pulled out of the way and it uh, doesn't let me force myself on others. It doesn't say me first. Um, if a vaccine becomes available, are you, are you going to rush the line to get it first or will you say to your neighbor, no, you have it first? Um, well, maybe you'll say it's not going to work anyway. So, No, that's not the point. Is it me first? Or um, if there's a big lineup, do they see us, if they know we're Christians, um, would would they remark on the fact that, well, um, he, he's not the one that pushes ahead in the line. He, he's the one that would let somebody else go ahead of him or have a limited supply of something. It, it, he would let another person have that short of taking it himself because he's living in this sandwich as a thankful person and, and a loving person. Here's one for all the Irish among us that um, love doesn't fly off the handle. Um, the Irish are quick-tempered. They're quick with a lot of things. They're quick with their temper. They fly off the handle. We fly off the handle. And uh, lo love doesn't behave like that. So I shouldn't, we shouldn't, if we are to be living in this sandwich. Here's one that's probably hard to process. Um, agape love, real committed love for one another, doesn't keep a score of other people's sins. But I, 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 I defy you to tell me you don't keep a score of other people's sins. I think we do it, even without thinking about it. So we might say, I forgive you. We might say, it's nothing. And, and that would probably not be the truth. It was something. And it's okay to say it was something. It's, it wasn't nothing. But it's not okay to imagine as though we'll, we'll forgive and forget if, if, if we know we aren't forgetting. If, if we know that if you bring it up, it'll, it'll be registered somehow. One of the, the, the most extravagant statements about God's love is that he has moved our sins from us. How, how far has he removed them from us? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is it from the east to the west? If you're a scientist or a geographer. I, I, I don't know. It, it's an infinite distance. It's an, it, it, it's an immeasurable distance. And what we're being told is that God cannot remember. The scriptures tell us that their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. He won't, he, he, God honestly would say about your sins, he can't remember. If the work that Jesus has done has been... Um, processed into your life so that you've accepted that he has been judged completely for every sin you've ever done or thought of doing or will do or will even think of doing. That if, if the devil who's called our accuser should show up in heaven like he did in Job's case um, and, and 
God were to say, well, what about my servant Orval? And the devil would say, well, he did this. And God said, he did? I don't remember. I don't remember. So if we love, as Mary told us, because he's loved us first, and if the whole measure of our love and, and the whole way we know how to love is because of his love for us, and one way that he has loved us is to have forgotten our offenses. For us to keep record of other people's offenses um, isn't right. And so however it is, um, if you catch yourself remembering what somebody has done or uh, somehow or other just making a mental note of it, ask God for the grace to live between the morning and the evening in a way that says, I, I, I have to forgive and forget what that person did. I need God's grace for it. I need God's power for it. Um, and, and I'm counting on that because I, I won't be a person who's keeping score, keeping a record of other people's wrongs. Well, you say, that's fine, as long as I know that the person's truly sorry for what they did. And, and then Paul says, yeah, well, love doesn't revel when others grovel. So if, if, if you say, well, she needs to say sorry, and if she said sorry, then I'd be able to forgive her and forget it. I don't think she's sorry. Paul would say, we want her to grovel a little bit. And you might say, yeah, just a little bit. And Paul says, no, love does not revel when somebody grovels. When you see somebody get what's coming to them, you need not to revel in it if you're a person of love. And so all of this calls us to a standard that is way beyond human. And it stretches us in, into a space in which we should live thoroughly dependent on the covenant loyalty and faithfulness of God to change us to become what we need to become. So that, so that people say about us, they really love one another. That, that they made fun of the early Christians, but they said they really love one another. Like it's, it's true somehow for them. They really love one another. And Paul says, yeah, here, here's how it goes. Here, here are the aspects or the dimensions of that love. Love rather takes pleasure when truth flowers. So rather than hope for someone to come to a, a demise or find out that they're right, it's truth that we love. And so if someone finds a dawning in their life about the truth, that ought to bring us great joy. That, that they, they've found something, they found something that is true. And it, it didn't bring us pleasure that they found that they were wrong and they had done wrong or something. It does bring us pleasure when they find something that's true. Um, when someone has the, the lights go on about something that you're trying to, to share with them that you think would be helpful, honestly helpful to them, when they get it, and you see that they, they get it, there's a delight. The, the teacher in you says, that's good. That, that's exactly it. That, that's what I was hoping you would learn, how, how I was hoping you would grow. Love, very finally, um, never fails, right? It puts up with anything. 
And, and there's the, the, the sort of gold standard, is that if I am a person living in this agape sandwich, um, it will surprise others what I put up with. Every now and then, you come across someone and you say, I don't know why you put up with that. The answer should be, well, love is why I put up with it. The answer should not be, oh yeah, it's not so bad, or he's not so bad, or it'll get better. The answer is, yeah, yeah, I put up with it. I put up with it for love. I put up with it for all of these other things to get in the mix that are the characteristics of love. But yes, I, I will put up something that others might scratch their head at and say, how do you put up with that nonsense? We will press on and carry on. Love trusts God always. It always looks for the best. And it never looks back and keeps going to the end. Love is that endurance quality of the Christian life. Love is what we process in the day between the morning and the evening in our relationships and in our circumstances that pushes us past what would stop anyone else in their tracks because we have a power source for loving one another, not only with eros and philae love, but with agape love. We, Peter on the day of Pentecost um, had a surge of power. Um, so the, the Peter at, at the breakfast stone table at Galilee, um, that Peter um, was granted something very beautiful by the Savior. Because when Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me with agape love? Um, the third time when Jesus asked him, do you love me with filet love? And Peter said, yes, I do. Jesus didn't say to him, well, that's not good enough. Um, he said, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. He said, okay, that's fine. Do you know what happened? Peter let go of some of the things that are the antithesis of, of love. Um, his swell head shrunk, his comparing himself with others, his keeping record and all of, the, all of those things. He, th he shed himself of all of those things and said, I have nothing to bring except my relationship with you. And about my relationship with you, said Peter, I will be honest. I can promise you this, that I will love you with a fond, brotherly kind of love. Jesus said, let's start there. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you had seen the Peter post-Pentecost and compared him to the Peter of bravado and the, the Peter of failure, you'd say, wow, what happened to him? Well, what happened to him is what God can do when we are willing to be changed people. So the sandwich is a very simple one, a very simple Thanksgiving sandwich. But it's a very hard one to build. We can get the lids, we can understand God's covenant intentions, God's faithfulness by his works, by his, act, by his actions. But in the middle of it, there's a lot of work 
to do filling that sandwich with love. And yet, it has to be filled. I mean, what gives a sandwich with only a top and a bottom without anything in between?